Hey, uh, I wanted to, you know, can I get the other one? This one's a little loose. Those of you at the old sanctuary, remember that? Remember that? I, 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 I can, yeah, I had one stand that was always loose, and every week I got it. And every week I said, I'm going to fix that before the next week. And it took me like two years to finally... It's like the music director is playing a joke on you. <laughs> it's like the music director only has three more weeks and then we can them. <laughs> hey, I want to celebrate something. Um, I got found out early today that... Uh, uh, someone who helped us start this church uh, many years ago, back in the 40s. Um, that's not true. That's in the 90s, late 90s. Uh, Bart Carey, he has uh, parents, which uh, most of us in the room do, at some way, shape, or form, unless you're a test tube. But, um, test tube, baby type. But most people aren't. And so, um, this is going really badly. I'll get this, <laughs> I'll get this out. Anyway, uh, Vern whispered into my ear when I uh, greeted him this morning that they are celebrating this weekend, but I heard it's July 7th was the exact date. July 7th, I'm going to do the math here. Let's see, 45 years ago, that would have been um, 50, 62, 62, right, I, yeah, right, math teacher. Uh, 62, 19, I was born in 64, that's amazing. 1962, these two were married, so 45 years that they, they're, they're celebrating this weekend. I just thought we'd give them a... I told Vern, I said, she deserves a medal. So, uh, of course, that's usually after about six weeks. Six, yeah, there you go. Yeah, Six weeks of living with a guy, it's about you deserve a medal anyway. Uh, this week, somebody, uh, Chris Dunn. Chris, are you here today? I don't know if I saw Chris and Chris today. Are they around? Maybe not. But Chris sent me something in the, in the email, and then you get those forwards that you go, oh, man, those are great. Other times it's like, oh, man, delete city. But, but this one was actually really good, and it, and it got me thinking about the phrase... Boy, if they only would have known. If they only would have known. So let me just show you a couple of these. These are vintage. All these are advertisements uh, from the past. Here's, here's the first one. Um, yep, Schlitz beer. The old hard way was with the can opener and it was hard to open. The new way is with the improved soft top aluminum top. And it says someday all beer cans will open this easy. All you got to do, it's real easy now on top. Someday. Look at this one. This is beautiful. For those of you who don't have dates, this is the reason. It says, if you can't read the caption, it says, blow in her face and she'll follow you anywhere. Now look, check out the dude. He is taking that cigarette and he has blown it right into her face and her mouth is open. Okay? Now we call that Secondhand smoke, right. But at that time, that was cool. I mean, that's the way. You know, it's not like those old lines when you come up to somebody, you know, and say that. No, you just come up to a girl and you blow smoke in her face, and that works. Since we're on the smoking theme, let's go to this one. This is a classic one. More doctors smoke camels <laughs> than any other cigarette. Now, I, I, I dare you, Google this. Google that phrase out. More doctors smoke camels than any other cigarette, you'll see about 15 of these. 
This was a major campaign in the 40s. You can actually go to a YouTube and watch a, a very old black and white television spot where there's this doctor smoking a camel telling you about the benefits, or at least that if you're going to smoke. Now, if you smoke, you know, like I like to say, smoke them if you got them. But, but at least we know now that it's not necessarily good for you. I mean, this time they're saying if you're going to smoke, be like most doctors, camels are safe. By the way, camels are now found to be one of the worst. Uh, they were unfiltered and the whole thing. All right, here we go. We'll go on to a little different theme. They're happy because they eat lard. <laughs> Now, <laughs> I got to confess, I was, I was in class and I got these, and I'm snickering like crazy this week. I was down in Chicago. And, but you maybe can't read the bottom. The bottom is what kills me. It says, issued by the Lard Information Council. <laughs> There's actually a council, or was, to promote lard. Beautiful. They're happy because they eat lard. Now, I got to confess, all those other ones... There's nothing compared to this one. This is a real advertisement. Check this out. It says, eat, 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 and always stay thin. Fat. The enemy that, that is shortening your life banished. How? With sanitized tapeworms. <laughs> I kid you not. Sanitized. Good ones. Sanitized tapeworms. It says, listen, look, I don't know if you can see it there. It says, jar-packed. Easy to swallow. Dude, I'm serious. There's an advertisement. Forget Atkins. Forget diet and exercise. Dude, tapeworms. There it is. Now, obviously, that goes under the category of if only, if only they had a clue, if only they knew. And we, you know, we make fun of those kind of things, and they are. Gosh, they're, they're funny. People will look at things that we now hold uh, to be you know, medically true or whatever, and they're not exactly true. I mean, and they will laugh at us now. There's, there's, a, there's a way of living life. You have just a certain amount of data. You don't have all the data. You only have a certain amount, and you live life that way. Then there's a way of life when you have more data that everything starts to change, and sometimes that data that you have actually shifts the way things think. For instance, one of the greatest movies ever made. Let's see if you guys can pick up where the scene is from. Where's that from? Oh, very good. Now, when you say Wizard of Oz, does, in my mind at least, does not you, the back of your head, now maybe you weren't a little kid like me when this thing came out and it was super spooky, right? <laughs> my pretty. I'm telling you, those monkeys, the flying monkey thing to this day fills my diaper. They spook me out. They are weird. I mean, it is well-made movie for the 1930s, I believe, right? One of the first, not the first, but one of the first movies ever in color. And very well made. But there's, that's the wizard, right? There's the wizard. But one of, my, one of the best lines and most quoted lines from the movie was after, at the end of the movie, when he's being found out and, they, and Toto pulls back that curtain, what, what does the guy say? What does the wizard say? Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Why? Because there's this false worldview that you have, eat tapeworms and you'll be thin. But if you just look behind the curtain to reality, everything is going to shift. And he doesn't want that to happen. Now, this morning we're going to get the opportunity to look at that. We're going to look at both sides of the curtain of an event. 
We're in the Gospel of John right now. If you're new with us, uh, I, I, we've been in about a two-year study. Just enjoy. We're going to be about five more weeks or so in this Gospel of John. And we've been going through. We are in the last part of chapter 19. There's only two chapters left. If you want to open up your Bible to Jap- uh, John chapter 19, we're going to be looking at today the burial of Jesus. Last three weeks, we've looked at arguably some of the most dark times in this gospel, the crucifixion of Christ. Last week, we looked at his death. It is finished. And this week, we're going to look at the burial of Jesus. And it is, it is, one way of looking at it, extremely dark. And that's what we're going to look at first. So the burial of Jesus. Let's take a look at this. Burial of Jesus. It says, Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Jesus Christ has died on the cross. He's dead. Does anybody remember? Oh, they have shiny dime. I don't have a shiny dime. What was Jesus accused of and eventually crucified for? What was the charge? What, uh, what would the Romans have said, this is the charge why you die? Although it's never said in Scripture, but treason or sedition. That would have been the charge. That's why Jesus was, was the worst thing, right? Because you have to make an example of, of a traitor. You've got to make an example of someone who's trying to overcome the Roman government. And so they, they treated them horribly. Crucifixion was one of the methods that they took care of people who were treasonous or, or were acts of sedition, all right? So what happens is he dies. There's a guy, his name's Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea. And uh, the, all the Gospels mention this guy. Joseph of Arimathea is mentioned by all four Gospels. We find out from other Gospels that he was rich. We also find out that he was a member of the ruling council called the Sanhedrin. He was a big shot Jewish religious ruler. And he, different Gospels say it differently, very cool in some of the ways, but this one says he was a disciple of Jesus. Now, It says, but until that point, he was secretly a disciple of Jesus. He was in this religious council called the Sanhedrin, but he was was secretly a follower of Jesus, so he wouldn't get kicked off the council. But you've got to understand, I think it's a little unfair to him to say he was a wimp, because this guy goes to ask Pilate, can I have the body of Jesus? Now, unless you understand a little bit about what what happens to traitors or seditionists, this doesn't really land. It seems like, oh, he's just going to get the body and it's no big deal. you got to understand something. People who were tried and found guilty and crucified for t- treason, you were not to touch their body. It was supposed to lay on the cross and it was to be eaten by the vultures. It was kind of like what they did in England when they hung body parts of a person around different parts of the nation to say, that'll happen to you if you're a traitor. That's what was supposed to happen. So for Joseph to come there and to say, I want his body, he was aligning himself up with someone sympathetic to this guy. Joseph was taking his life into his own hands by asking Pilate for the body. Now, under normal circumstances, Pilate would say, no, and we'll crucify you next to him. 
And that's what makes this so much, very interesting. It says, with Pilate's permission. Which, not directly, but indirectly says, I agree with you, we, we, we crucified this guy wrongly. We shouldn't have done it. It's a little jab there. That John, the gospel writer here, includes that Pilate agreed with Joseph. With Pilate's permission, he came, took the body away. And so it took huge courage to do that. There's another guy, Nicodemus. Remember him from John chapter 3. John indicates here that Nicodemus, also a member of this high religious society, a ruler, he also comes and they take the body of Jesus away. Verse 40. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. All the spices, 75 pounds, it's actually, I read one commentary where he said, that's not quite a great translation. He says 65.45 pounds. <laughs> I thought, oh, come on. Anyway, it's a lot of spices. It's a, it's a the size of my gold retriever worth when he was living. Now he's ashes. But then uh, it was uh, 75 pounds or so of of spices that would make this body smell good. It was the way they prepared bodies. They wrapped it in strips, or they, uh, in strips and they put the spice on it. This was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation and since the tomb was nearby... They laid Jesus there. Okay, now, a couple things you have to see here. It's a huge foreshadow. Chapter 20, something amazing is going to happen. It's not. It's still Friday. Remember, it's Friday night. Jesus is dead. They're going to bury him. Chapter 20 is Sunday. Saturday, no scripture about Saturday. It's very silent. Nothing happens. We'll talk about that in a minute. You've got to understand what's happening in John chapter 20 to understand what John is alluding to here. He says, he says, there's a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. That's very important. It's very important that no one else is in the tomb. Because when they come back, the next day, what's there? Nobody. The tomb is empty. Oh, dude, lucky tomb. It was tomb day. That people who were in this, all the people in that tomb were gone or whatever. No, no one else is in this tomb but Jesus. It's very important for John to communicate that to you. Now, it's in our picture I found a very famous one of the crucifixion, or excuse me, the, the burial of Jesus. Why don't you go to the next one there, Tom. It's, it's actually, um, it's interesting. There, there's some artwork, and it's beautiful. There's some artwork of Jesus on the cross that's actually heresy. This one's really close. <laughs> the artwork that was heresy, is it was a heresy called, I, I can't know if I pronounce it right, it's Dosticism, which basically said that Jesus wasn't a body. He didn't really, uh, he didn't really die a physical death. And so they make his, his, his uh, body look almost perfect. And I, I looked at this picture and thought, uh-oh, but there is, if you look on his foot, there's a little blood. Okay, you see his foot there? Otherwise, his body should just be a bloody mess. And, and, and pa- painters in the uh, Renaissance area, when they were painting these pictures, they just didn't want to paint Christ like. I understand why. 
So if you see a Jesus where he looks perfect on the cross, that's where he, it, it's like his body really didn't, he didn't die a physical death. And there was actually this kind of this cult that didn't teach because it was just too much for them to think of God Almighty dying a physical death. And it is too much to think that way. But that is what, that's what scripture teaches and for very good, very good reason. This shows the lamentation. This is a picture of, of uh, the, the lamentation of taking Christ down from the cross. And it was sad. Can you imagine? I mean, it, you have to think about this. I don't know if you've ever had a leader or someone that you followed or love die. I don't know if you ever had a family member die. Carol and I, uh, you know, all of our parents were living until about two years ago, and then Carol's dad was uh, diagnosed with a brain tumor. They operated on it once, but in October of that year, 2005, he died. And it's something. Death is something. If you haven't experienced it firsthand, it is something. Remember the first time I experienced death, 1976, looking at my uh, grandfather's casket at the wake. I'd never been to a wake before. You come and you, you view the body and you, you say goodbye. I think it's a, a good tradition. But it is, uh, let's see, I was in fifth grade, so it was maybe about 11 or something like that. Walking up, and that's my grandpa. It's my favorite grandpa. It's the only grandpa I knew. The other one had died when I was very young. Uh, and so, that's grandpa. And I remember the next day we had the funeral for grandpa. And we did what every good, you know, Minnesotan does afterwards. We go in the basement and they have a potluck. And I remember sitting over there, and these people were chowing. And I remember people laughing at the, at the, at the funeral or afterwards, you know, not during the funeral, but afterwards. Just, you know, in hindsight, now nothing, I mean, they're just chatting. It's just the way people are. But I remember as a fifth grader looking at that and I was so mad. You are laughing. My grandpa is dead. And you're laughing about it. Or not about it, but this is not a day to be laughing. If there's something in you that, if anybody ever tells you and says, you know what, death, man, it's just part of life. Death is just part of life. That is B as in B, S as in S. That is not true. That is not true. We were not created to die. It is not what it means to be made in the image of God. When death feels weird to you, it should, because it's wrong. It's not the order I live in. And so when somebody close to me dies and leaves me, there's something fundamentally in me that gets angry and upset and sad and it's just the whole order of the world is wrong. And it should be. It's not the way it's supposed to be. So now, not only are you sad because your friend has died, but someone that you honestly thought the disciples had staked three years of their lives, left their jobs, left their families, and had followed this guy for three years. And they honestly thought this guy was the one to return the nation of Israel to prominence. He was the Messiah. He's the dude. And he's in a bloodied heap at the foot of a cross while guys are picking him up. And that's Friday. All your dreams are shattered. Where you thought your life was gone, it is completely gone. And what makes it worse 
is it goes another day. It's Saturday. There's no scripture about Saturday. Saturday is what I call the day of silence. There is nothing happening on Saturday. It just confirms your thought that Jesus is dead and it's gone. God seems a million miles away. Where are you, God? You cry out and he's not there. Some of you might be there right now. You might be living Saturday right now. You, you cry out to God and you say, God, I need you. I need you to show up and show me this situation. It is miserable. Help me. And you get nothing. The, the, the silence is just breathtaking. You cannot believe how an omnipotent, omniscient, all-powerful God would say nothing, and he doesn't. And that's where you're at. And that's where they were at on Saturday. Now, if you're there, I'm not going to lie to you and say that's an easy place. I have been there. I have been there. I go through that land often. And it seems those times when I cry out to God like that, and he doesn't answer are the most painful and growth times I have. And, and I'm not trying to minimize what you're going through. And it's painful. Now, I want to take you behind the curtain. On one side of the curtain, in Oz, where, where we live, Jesus is dead. There seems to be no answers. This all seems to be for nothing. I want to take you behind the curtain into reality. And reality for us is going to come in the form of looking at the book of Revelation, which is going to go like, uh-oh, I thought reality just went bye-bye. But just hang on now. We're going to look at the book of Revelation to look behind the curtain to see actually what is happening behind the curtain. Let me say one thing before we get there. I'm not saying this is chronological. Hear me loud and clear. I'm not saying the events that are going to happen, we're going to look at Revelation 4 and 5, are chronologically exactly what happened on Friday and Saturday. I'm not saying that. I am saying of the event of what happened on Friday, it is the very thing that causes Revelation 4 and 5 to happen. Okay? With that said, flip over your Bible. We're going to spend the rest of our time looking at Revelation 4 and 5. So flip over your, your Bible to the last chapter, last book of the Bible, Book of Revelation. It's written by the same guy. It's written by the Apostle John. He's writing his revelation. He's writing in language that to us, we're not familiar with. Okay, this is not a language we use at all anymore, unless you're doing some serious dope or something. I mean, this is not, this, it does, it sounds like stoner language, and it, and it, uh, those, I lived on the stoner floor my first year. I was not a stoner, but I lived on the stoner floor my first year. And, and dudes did kind of, you go into the rooms and they, had, they, they liked the book of Revelation. Oh, dude, it's awesome. Yeah. They had paintings and things that were not supposed to be painted on the walls, murals and different things. Anyway, um, the book of Revelation is in language that we don't understand it. And um, let's start and then I'll, I'll talk more about that. After this, I looked. He, he's just gotten done, if you're familiar with the book of Revelation, and giving these seven letters to the seven different churches from Christ. And then here starts now this unfolding of what's going to happen. He says, after this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had heard excuse me, the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet, which is Christ from chapter 1, said, come up here 
And I will show you what must take place after this. At once, I was in the Spirit. Now, it is going to go to what we call mystical language or apocalyptic language. Now, let me give you why it maybe does this. Let me give you an analogy see if this works. Let's just say, for instance, that you go to the U of M and you are a person, you study language. Your deep desire is to bring um, some written language and maybe some technological advances to a Stone Age community still in deep, dark Africa. And you go through all the schooling, you know how to take uh, uh, language and take it to so it's phonetic and so that you can write it down, the whole thing. You go to this tribe, you're with them for five years. You're with the tribe, and you work at their language, and you, you, um, you get your written language for them, and you have all their terms and everything, and then you come back, and you're given your assignment from your supervisor for the next technological advance after you spend now five years studying, and five years actually being on the ground, helping these people understand it. Your assignment is to come back and explain to them electricity. But you can only do it, obviously, in their terms, because they don't have. There's no electricity there. There's no technological advances whatsoever. You come back, and you're going to explain electricity. So what do you say? You say, well, I want to teach you today about something that's a great thing that we have in our country. And it's not actually a thing like you can hold, but it's a thing that, well, well, it, it, it's, kind of a, 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 it's kind of like a, a lot of horses. But it's not, it's not horses. But it's like that. It has a lot of strength. And we put it through wires, or not wire, ropes, well, not vines. And they go through the, we put it through these vines, and the vines go on poles, uh, well, trees. Well, the trees, actually, they're not trees. We take the, we take the, forget it. There aren't trees, and we, we, strip, we strip it across, and then we, we, we push the power horse stuff through, through the vine. It, it kind of goes in, into the vine. It, it, yeah, it comes across. And it, we, we do this, we, we end up sticking a, a vine-type thing right onto your hut. And so that if you keep putting this vine-type structure into your hut, you, you can put a little, um, well, there's the, like a mini sun. You can put a sun inside your hut so at night you can stay up late. Not that I don't know why you'd want to, but you can. Or you could hook it up to this, this like a fire thing, but it's not fire. There is no fire, but it's like a fire thing, and you could actually cook in your hut. Okay, you see what I've had to do there? I've had to take language, and, and I mean, I'm, 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 I didn't say anything about amperage or ohms or watts or any of that stuff. I'm doing a very poor job explaining electricity, but it's on a basic level. When John gets into the heavenly realms, he has to resort to language that is like that. So just, we're going to see things that seem contradictory. Is it a lion? Is it a lamb? The answer is yes. Lion lamb. I purposefully did not put up pictures here because some of you, like when you read a novel and you see the movie and you go, always, you say, oh, they ruined it, right? I don't want you to have any images except what the text brings to your mind. Let's look at this now. He's in his spirit. Verse 2. There before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, the two most, in the ancient world, the two most valuable stones, and there's a throne. All right, there's this throne. Who sits on thrones? Kings sit on thrones. Rulers sit on thrones. And the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, the most expensive, the most radiant things known at that kind. A rainbow resembling an emerald encircled this throne. 
And by the way, some people believe that this is the concept where when you look at pictures in the Middle Ages when they painted people with halos, this is where it came from. A rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. That idea of radiance for saints or for God, that's where it came from. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones. So there's multiple thrones. And seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder, which should, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, that should take you back to Mount Sinai. So, just get the picture. Remember, all of, all of what we're going to do so far, all of uh, Revelation chapter 4 is really just the setting for what we want to talk about in Revelation chapter 5, what's really behind the scene. There's this throne with this awesome God. Now, I don't know if you've ever been out, like, in the Boundary Waters, or somewhere where you are susceptible to weather, and up flows, you can see this awesome storm. I mean, it is coming, and you can just see it. And you, you do all you can just to you know, protect yourself. The wind, the tent is flapping. I mean, it is awesome. And you're out in it. You don't have anywhere to go. That's the imagery here. This throne is awesome. Before the throne, seven lamps, were, seven lamps were blazing. There were seven spirits of God. Seven is a perfect number in the book of Revelation. Let's keep going. I'm not going to explain all that. I just want you to get the, kind of the picture. Also before the throne, verse 6, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center, around the throne, were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes. Now, that sounds weird, but in apocalyptic literature, what that meant was, I see everything. Okay? I see everything. In other words, I'm omniscient. There's nothing that escapes my eye. The first living creature was like a lion. A lion signified majesty. The second was like an ox, strong. The third was like a man. Believe it or not, that signifies intelligence. <laughs> it is. I know it shocked me too. Um, I think that footnote says woman. No, just kidding. Uh, the, the fourth was like a flying eagle, which represents freedom. Okay, remember, this, this all, you can't draw a painting of this. It's all just representative of what's happening around this throne. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is, and is to come. They're just a declarative sentence on who's at the center of the throne. It's God, and he's holy above everything else. They say it all the time, and they never get tired of saying it. Based on his eternality-ness. Did I just coin that word? Maybe so, but that's, a, that's what you got, why God gets praised. In every category, he's eternality-ness. Verse 9, whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders, remember they're out there on the outside, circled around, fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. Why, why now? Why is he... Worship this time, not just because of etern eternality-ness, because he's creator, with a capital C. He created everything that's not him. He created it. And by your will they are created and have their being. Okay. 
You got the picture? I hope your mind eye has something. This is an awesome picture of God. This is what's going on behind the curtain on Saturday. Not, not chronologically, but if you put it in the category of what categorically is happening on Saturday, this is happening. All right, now we go to chapter 5. Now here's what's going to happen. Then I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. Who's sitting on the throne? God. He's got a, 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 a scroll. The scroll is written on both sides. Really, really weird to have a scroll on both sides. The way they made papyrus was basically by uh, is basically weaving uh, uh, things together, reads together, and, and you'd only write on one side because it was easier to write that way. The flip side, you didn't write as much. But this one indicated it's full. Now, a scroll, this type of scroll, indicates the purpose or will. Will in the sense, you can think of like last will and testament of someone. God has a will. God has a purpose. There's a plan. If a king were to give his will, even if the will was known, like it, was, it could have been printed and, and shouted to everybody around the whole world, is that when that, roll, when that will is, is rolled up and the seals are there, however many seals, sometimes up to seven different seals, the will could not be enacted after his death until the seals were broken. When you broke a seal, that was like, it was the same as enacting the will. In other words, God has in his hand his scroll, his purposes, his plan, his, his purposes and plan for blessing, and for wrath for the future. Some way, shape, and form. I don't really care how you take the book of Revelation. It involves that element of it. Wherever you think it lands, we're not going to go there today. He's got that in his hands. It's very important. Verse 2. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? To unfold history. To unfold God's plan. Who can do that? This, this mighty angel yells to the entire universe, who's going to open it and, and enact God's purposes? And the answer is, no one. Verse 3, but no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. Even kind of, no one can do that. Whoa. No one just waltzes up to the throne. And does this. You can't do that. This is an awesome throne. No one is able to do this. Now, you've got to understand the significance of that. That means that God's purposes cannot happen. In other words, there is no meaning in life. Nietzsche was right. God is dead. My favorite t-shirt says, Nietzsche said, God is dead. On the back it says, God says, Nietzsche is dead. Anyway, um, <clears throat> there is no meaning. Whatever meaning you want is just an existentialism. In other words, you can just, whatever I want to make meaning in life, that's it. Because there is no meaning. There is no purposes. That's what happens here. And what, what does John do? He says, I wept and wept. Because no one could open the scroll of God's purposes. No one. No one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look inside. Verse 5. Then, one of the elders said to me, Quit your crying, lad. Irish, Irish translation. Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. 
He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. No one else. You want to go to a Bible passage that talks about the exclusivity of Christ? I am the way and the truth and life. John 14, 6 says it in a very uh, clear fashion. This says it in a narrative fashion. No one else can open God's purposes. Jesus Christ is the only one. He is worthy to open the seals. Then I saw a lamb. It's the same as the lion. I know. But hang with me. Looking as if it had been slain. Standing where? In the center of the throne. Who stands in the center of the throne? God. It's reserved for God. This lion, this lamb, is also God Almighty. See, second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, I'm not even going there, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp. And again, a harp, a harp is just an instrument of joy. Right, Chelsea? Chelsea plays harp. I had to eat my words a couple weeks ago. But, but uh, it's an instrument of joy. So whatever your instrument of joy is, a harmonica for Bart, or whatever your instrument of joy is, that is, put, put it there. Harp is an instrument of joy. In the Old Testament, they would rock out to the harp when they had a, a major... No, no, it probably would be cool. I, I don't know, I, but they would. In, in those days when they had a major military victory, when they were in a time of exile, there's a phrase they said, they hung up their harps. They're done. The harps are down now. They're rocking on the harps. I don't know how you rock on a harp. And, and they're holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And here's what they say. They sang a new song. Here's what they say. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals to reveal and let all of God's purposes happen. Blessing flow and, 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 and judgment on the earth where it needs to happen. All that's going to happen. Why? Here it is. This is key. This is kisses behind the curtain now. Why? Because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Verse 11, Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and 10,000 times 10,000, they encircled the throne. I don't know where your mind's eyes is. They're just angelic beings of all kinds everywhere. And they say in a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing. That's everything that's got DNA. It just, or I don't know if angels have DNA. Angel DNA or whatever. There's just, everything that is created says to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. And thus opens the book of Revelation, which I admit quickly goes to La La Land. Don't read it trying to figure it out. Just be impressed by who this God is and that his purposes unfold. That's what's happening. That's behind the curtain. Let's go the other side. Back to this side of the curtain. This side of the curtain... They're mourning the loss of their leader. He's died. It all is lost. No longer do I have any hope. God, where are you? Why don't you say something? This side of the curtain, they are rocking. Because what happened on Friday opened up 
the scroll. The scroll can get opened and God can move. Most significant event of all of history has just happened. But the, it's a soundproof curtain. <laughs> you just don't hear it yet. They're going to hear it and we're going to hear it next week. And they're going to start to hear it. It happens next week. Now, where do you go with this? Where do you go with this? First thing. I think it answers big time the question, who is Jesus Christ and why did he die? Who is Jesus? He's the only one. The whole world was consulted and no one could, was worthy to find, come and open that scroll, obviously symbolic, of being the one worthy to open God's purposes and plan for the future. Jesus Christ, by his death on the cross, opening a way, paying the penalty of our sin, allowing us to be forgiven and God to be completely just when he declares a guilty, vile person like moi, Innocent, not just innocent, not guilty. He does that because Christ takes the punishment. It opens everything up. And that's just the preamble to everything that happened at the cross. There's so much that happened at the cross. Who is Jesus? He is worthy of everything that these guys are shouting for eternity. Second thing. You might be on this side of the curtain today. You might be on this side of the curtain. It might seem like the entire world has gone to hell. What is going on? God, how in the world can you let these things happen? And I, I'm not claiming to understand your circumstances exactly what's going on behind the curtain. But I do know this. Something's happened behind the curtain. The omnipotent, almighty one who is sitting at the throne and all these this, this great, powerful things are happening and lightning and thunder and these people worshiping just doesn't go, oops, ever. I'm not trying to understand it all. Please don't hear me. I'm not trying to minimize what you're going through. But I'm trying to give you hope that there is something behind that curtain. That's the third thing. There is always more. There is always more. Some of your deepest time of knowing and trusting God is when it seems like you're living on Saturday. In reality, Revelation 4 and 5 is happening. Let's pray together. Jesus, I just confess that in one way, shape, or form, every day, I struggle with things that are on this side of the curtain. I have the data in front of me. I'm a logical person. I can figure it out. I extract you from the equation and it looks hopeless. And I, I confess that I do that every day. God, there are events in my life, there are events even right now that seem incredibly hopeless to me. And yet, Lord, you're wooing us to pay attention to that man behind the curtain. So Jesus, I pray for that, for, for the people in this room, that this morning, no matter what it is they're going through, and I know as many people as there are here, there are at least that many things that people are going through. God, that you just, even through the word this morning or through any other event, you just pull back that curtain a little bit and give them a glimpse. Give us a glimpse of you that will lead us to hope, we ask God. 
Lord, I pray especially for these for, for people this morning in this room who maybe for the first time in their lives had heard that Jesus Christ could be their everything, could be their Savior, could be their Lord, could be the one worthy of living their life in line with worship. And God, I just pray, just like the name of that, that arts group, that they would enter the worship circle. They would enter in and say, Jesus Christ, I want to sign up. I want to be a follower of you. Lord, I pray for those of us who maybe are in the circle, but our heads are pointed out. Jesus, that we'd look in. We'd look in and once again be in awe of you. Renew us, God. Renew us and place firmly our hearts that we only hope in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.